Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the city of Hamilton staffer that was being investigated into links of white supremacy has been terminated. We have the latest. Will the problems with Justin Trudeau and the ethics commissioner derail his campaign against Doug Ford and make him concentrate more on Andrew Scheer? And the fallout from the SNC-Lavalin Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal continues. Jody Wilson-Raybould saying he needs to apologize. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The city of Hamilton staffer that was being investigated over his links to white supremacy groups have been terminated. Uh, Mark Lemire and the city have uh, mutually agreed to end uh, their uh, relationship. A controversial controversial City of Hamilton employee who once led a Canadian white supremacist organization has been terminated. Uh, The communications manager confirmed in a release on Friday that uh, Mark Lemire and the city have reached a mutual agreement. Lemire was on a leave of absence pending the outcome of two investigations. Uh, The decision follows two investigations into his workplace activities. Following these investigations, the city made a decision that his off-duty activities and associations did not reflect the cultures and values of the city uh, went on to say there was no evidence that uh, Lemire inappropriately accessed or gathered any data from databases including emails uh, the city is not commenting on the details of the termination uh, Lemire is a former Heritage Front member had been working at the city's uh, IT department for over a decade his employment first came to light in an article by Vice Canada uh, Hamilton City Councilors and City Director of Human Resources had a closed-door session on May 8th to determine the city's course of action after news of Lemire's employment came to history and light the following day uh, it was confirmed to Global News that the city was pursuing pursuing a third-party firm uh, for an investigation into the matter, saying in the event that the investigation su- uh, substantiates a policy violation, appropriate action will be taken. The revelation caused concern for a number of current and former city councillors who wanted to know whether their databases were compromised. Uh, Lemire, who's uh, 44, came to light, uh, came to notoriety rather in 2009 when a Canadian human rights tribunal ruled on a controversial law banning internet hate messages. Back then it was alleged that Lemire was influential in the neo-Nazi movement, reportedly using the internet as a propaganda tool in the early 90s and starting a website called the Freedom Site in 1996. Uh, Lemire, was, uh, who boasted of being the founder of freedomsite.org, later went on to post articles related to censorship in Canada up until uh, 2015. And basically, as I said, the, uh, the release from the city, the city of Hamilton and Mark Lemire, uh, this is the official statement from the city, have mutually agreed to end uh, their employment. Uh, the decision follows two investigations into Mr. Lemire's workplace activities. Following these investigations, the city made a decision that Mr. Lemire's off-duty activities Activities and associations did not reflect the culture, values, and beliefs of the city. There was, however, no evidence that Mr. Lemire inappropriately accessed, utilized, gathered any data, including city emails or private information, or that he inappropriately used any city equipment. Uh, while we certainly can, uh, well, we certainly can appreciate the public's interest in this matter, as this is an employee matter. We will not be able, uh, we will not be able to comment further on the details 
of the end of our employment relationship. And that is from the manager of communications in the city of Hamilton. All right, let's bring in Bernie Farber, chair of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and is with us now. Bernie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Much appreciate you calling me, Scott. So tell everybody about the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Well, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network uh, is an organization that began about two years ago, and we we monitor hate groups, uh, especially the violent hate groups, the far-right hate groups, um, just to ensure that, you know, Canada is is a safer place. The sad news is, of course, that things have gotten worse. Uh, and not better uh, in the last uh, few years. And interestingly enough, Mark Lemire goes back well into the late 80s and early 90s as one of the pioneers of the uh, white supremacist movement here in this country. Um, So when it was discovered that he was actually an employee uh, of the city of Hamilton, you can understand that people became very concerned. But a couple of things, um, just in, in terms of your intro, it's interesting that people were concerned as to whether or not there might be a data breach. Yeah, that would concern, I think, a lot of people. But really for me, and I think for a lot of others, the question is, how did Mark Lemire get this job in the first place? That's number one. It mm. was not difficult uh, to do a quick search. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is that he claims to have uh, you know, stopped posting uh, articles on, on a Freedom site as of 2015, but, uh, you know, uh, once, once the, uh, the information was released, we had our researchers do a, a, a search on Lemire. It took us less than five minutes to come up with multiple examples of postings of anti-Semitism, Holocaust denial material uh, that remain available uh, at least as of last month. Hmm. So, uh, you know, at least from what we can tell, he had an open site and was still posting things as of July uh, of 2019. Uh, so look, there's still a lot of questions that remain. I, I understand the personnel issues behind this. Uh, nobody wants to know what, what the, uh, you know, what the um, uh, finality is in terms of his uh, payout or what have you. But I, I think people do need to know how this happened and how it won't happen again in the future. It would be interesting to know what the policy was way back when. I guess he was with the city for just over 10 years. But again, um, you know, the Internet uh, system isn't that old. Uh, Again, searches could have easily been done back then. It would be interesting to know what the policy was then and if it's changed. Well, uh, for sure. I mean, here's the thing. Ten years ago, so we're we're talking about 2009, 2010, you know, searches were being done quite quite readily then. Yeah. The Freedom site that he ran was up and running quite uh, boisterously at that time. So a person applies for a job with the city of Hamilton, uh, gives up whatever credentials he has. Surely there has to be a check. Uh, well, you know, and I was running Canadian Jewish Congress at that time. And since other organizations that I ran, including the Mosaic Institute and the Paloma Foundation, when people applied, we did our homework. And, you know, mm-hmm. we checked out credentials. We did uh, online searches. Uh, you know, if it comes out that this, that this fellow was involved with the Heritage Front, a neo-Nazi organization, shouldn't that ring bells at the city of Hamilton? I, so I think part of the investigation should have included how the hiring happened. And what, I, I mean, was it okay to hire neo-Nazis in the city of Hamilton? I, I don't think 
the good people of, of Hamilton would, would probably agree with that. Uh, so how did it happen? How did he slip through these cracks? We have no answers to that yet. And how odd is it, you know, we're talking about technology and such and how this was only 10 or so years ago, uh, but how odd considering he was applying or, or, or involved in an IT job? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there is, the IT department doesn't do the checks? I mean, that just sounds ridiculous. I uh, know, it, it, it's, listen, it's part of a number of questions that now have arisen in relation to the manner in which the municipality, the police force in Hamilton have been handling hate incidents over the last, well, now it goes back 10 years, but over the last number of months for sure. There have been some really dark episodes in Hamilton, a number of uh, marches by hard right uh, groups, uh, assaults taking place, violence taking place, um, and there doesn't seem to be a handle on it. And this issue just, you know, kind of hovered above it and created an ongoing cloud. I, I think there's much work to be done on all kinds of levels now in, in Hamilton. Um, and I think city council has to assure uh, the people of Hamilton that uh, this is now well in hand. We've, we've learned a lesson. Uh, and here's what we plan to do in the future. I think we need to hear those steps. Uh, from the mayor and from uh, and and from others to to you know kind of put the the exclamation point if you will at the end of this sentence as you said uh considering what has been happening in the city hall forecourt for the last several weekends and and what has transpired post uh, pride celebration uh, down at gage and such uh it, it does seem very odd with the timing here that um that they're having this issue in the forecourt they're having this issue inside the building itself I know, and, and, and I guess that's, that's kind of the irony of, uh, of all of this. I mean, there are a number of, of uh, white supremacist, very hard-right groups that have been demonstrating in Hamilton. They seem to have a clear court. Can I, can I interrupt you there, Bernie? And, yep. and, and here's why I, I want to keep this less political. And we always hear people or some people saying, you know, it's all the alt-right, it's all the alt-right. And we remember it's the alt-left that beat up Lock Street. So I think there's two sides well, to no, this. Now, and, I'm not, and I'm not getting into the argument about haters versus non-haters because hate is hate is hate is hate. But I don't want to politicize it and make no, it no, that I'm, it's all the right I'm, or all the left side. I'm, I'm, I'm not politicizing it left, right, or center. I mean, you know, our organization has stood... Uh, for score against violence, we are for civil discourse. But and I, and and this is important. There has been a huge rise mm-hmm. in white supremacy in this country, and of course in the in the United States. We can't ignore that. I mean, people have been killed in our churches. People have been killed in our synagogues, in our mosques, on the street. Uh, and, I, I don't and, think, though, I, I guess the point that I'm making here, Bernie, and I don't want this to go in the direction that it now appears to be going, is that I don't want to amplify this by politicizing it, making it left or right, because there are, as, and again, I, I'm not sounding like Donald Trump here and saying that there's as many bad people on one side as there is the other. That is Scott, not, there are that, not okay. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm I, saying I, 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 I don't want to hear, you know, race of white supremacy, you want to go on with that, then that's fine. I'm fully into that. But, I'm fully Scott, into that. that's but, what this is about. Yeah, I understand I mean, that. Mark Lamont was the head of one of Canada's most, I understand that. you know, vile mm-hmm. uh, neo-Nazi organizations ever. And so how can we not talk about this? I, I'm right? not saying not talking about it. I'm not, what I'm saying is I don't want to get to the point where, 
you know, all of the violence is happening because of alt-right, because we've seen violence on the alt-left. I'm not denying or taking anything away from the hate and, and any of, of, of what you're saying, but I don't want to politicize it left and right. Yes, there's alt-right, suprem- white supremacist. That is an issue here. No two ways about it, and that has to be stopped. But again, I, I don't want to make it a left-right issue. That's the point well, that I'm trying to make. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure it is a left-right issue. I, uh, you know, I don't stand on the left. I don't stand on the right. All I know is this. Same here. I, I don't know of any group on the left that have walked into churches and mosques and started wantonly shooting people. No. If, if I'm wrong, no, please I understand. let me know. No, I understand I, what I, you're I don't saying. know that. I understand I what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, but what I'm talking about is what's happening in Hamilton. Okay? I, I, I hear you, but it's, it's not that far a road down to, to go from demonstrating to uh, more than just violence. I, I would agree with that. We, and we've seen this happen. That's why our organization exists. This is what you asked me you know, in the first place. Why do we exist? We exist because the police have not been able to keep tabs on some of the most violent, alt, I'm not, they're not alt-right, white supremacist, mm-hmm. neo-Nazi organizations in this country, in North America. We're able to do that. We've been able to do that. We've worked with police. We've worked with intelligence services. We will continue to do that because this is a dangerous place, and it's getting more dangerous. And the fact that you're having these kinds of demonstrations, by the way, Hamilton is not the only place. Similar demonstrations are happening in Toronto, Montreal, Quebec City, Calgary, across the country in ways that we've never seen it before. And we need to get a handle on it, because if we don't, it's only going to get worse. How do we get a handle on it, Bernie? I mean, many have said, uh, you know, specifically with what happened at City Hall uh, a week or so ago with the school bus being driven up onto the sidewalk. For me, that's... That's a line in the sand. That's that's not that's the sort of thing that should not be happening yeah. and should be dealt with uh, swiftly. W- what are your thoughts on how we gain control of what's happening? And let's try to keep it more centralized with what's happening in Hamilton. Not, not a problem. Uh, my my view is that uh, police services need to to redevelop anti hate units. Hamilton, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa—they all used to have specific units that were designated to investigate and be on top of hate groups from the very start. That kind of dissipated in the mid-2000s when when the uh, whole fear of ISIS terrorists and that type of thing took place, and I I understand that perfectly. But now the pendulum has kind of swung back, and and, and we need to count on our police services, our, our intelligence services, they're the ones that we count on to make sure that, our, that we are protected and that we are safe. And they're the ones that really have to be ahead of the curve and not just, you know, building a rampart, so to speak. They have to know what's going on in advance. The, uh, American police services are beginning to get that picture. Uh, York Region has redeveloped its, uh, its diversity unit to include larger numbers of police officers being trained specifically to deal with hate groups. Hamilton needs to do the same thing. Toronto needs to do the same thing. There's lots of work to do in order to do that. And then we all have to find a way to work cooperatively. We have to understand what hate is. Education becomes a key part of this. In, in high schools, even in public schools, you're, you're not going to see that education yet. It has to be there. Now, we've been doing some work with, with the York Region Board and with the Toronto Board. I'm actually going to be in Hamilton on October the 4th 
on a panel talking about this very issue at the Gandhi Lectures. I think Bob Ray is the keynote speaker that, that, that day. These are the kinds of things that have to happen. We have to have open forums. We have to start discussing. Police have to be on top of it. Municipality has to be on top of it. And until and unless that happens, we're just going to get more and more of this. How, does, how do you think Hamilton should best deal with the situation that seems to happen every weekend at City Hall? Uh, you know, uh, protesters and 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 anarchy and counter protesters and 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 and, um, and anarchy beyond that. I mean, messages. The messages are, are being lost in the sauce here. How do how do you? What's the best way for us to deal with this? This is probably the most difficult thing to deal with because we live in a free and democratic society, and everybody is free within the ambit of the law to demonstrate and to you know be be part of active society but the law has to be applied and that's why i say that you know police have to have an active understanding of when the law is being broken in terms of hate crimes and potential hate propaganda they have to keep the sides apart and they have to ensure that the sides are kept apart even if that means more manpower or more woman power or whatever the case may be um, but it, it just can't be allowed to go holus bolus in, in in toronto now they're actually looking at ways as to whether or not there may be uh, civil procedures that could be put into place to ensure that anybody who, who immediately gets out of line, that that group gets banned from, from the public square. I have a few problems with banning any group from the public square. I think the public square says exactly what it is that we're supposed to be, public square. You know, people are allowed to be there. So uh, I, I think it's going to take a lot of us to really figure out where to go from here. Uh, do we have to deal with this differently now, it seems, Bernie. As you said, uh, the pendulum has seemed to have swung too far. It seems to the point where hate groups are now emboldened. They feel a lot more uh, freer to speak their mind and, and, and to, to walk into a public square and start spewing hate. Uh, as you mentioned, rise of white supremacy, whatever, uh, what's happening south of the border, it seems to have, uh, have empowered these people uh, in some way. Does this require a different lens now because of that? Oh, uh, with, without a doubt. Look, we had a report just about a month or so ago from the Canadian military saying that there were at least 50 members of well-known violent hate groups in the Canadian Armed Forces. Mm. Uh, and we have been, uh, you know, sending letters to the minister saying, what's going on here? What do you plan on doing? Well, just yesterday we heard that he's instituting an investigation into potential racism in the armed forces. Doesn't say one word about the uh, alleged 50 members of uh, violent hate groups that are already there. And let us remember, you know, many years ago, um, it, it took one person, uh, Timothy McCaig, to bring down the, uh, the Oklahoma building. Uh, he learned his, his training in, in, in developing bombs in the American armed forces. Mm -hmm. This is where they go to get trained. And the very fact that this has been exposed and the members of the public have no idea what's going on, these are the kinds of things that, you know, politicians have to have a handle on. We have an election coming up. I think we need to ask our leaders, what do you plan on doing? How are you going to control this thing that's happening in the military? How are you going to control the spread of white supremacy uh, in, in this country? What are your plans? We have to hear from our politicians because that's what they're supposed to be doing. My next question was going to be, Bernie, what can the average Hamiltonian do? What can citizens do to move this discussion forward? But with an election coming, you, you pointed that out. Any well, the other, any other advice? first thing. But there's, there's more. There's you know, civil discussion. Get involved in civil debate. 
Um, you know, education, information, know who the enemy is, know what they're about, know how to identify them, and speak out for your you know, minority citizens in, in Hamilton, be they gay or Muslim or Jewish or people of color. Uh, you know, it, it's up to all of us to stand up and, and work as a community to let those who are wanting to spread hatred know they are not welcome. And it has to be loud and it has to be clear, but it has to be civil. Well said. Bernie Farber has been with us, chair of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. The city of Hamilton staffer that had been investigated into his links to white supremacy have been terminated. Uh, and, of course, the details of that confidential. Bernie, thank you so much for the Thanks, time and insight. I really appreciate it. Much appreciated. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We have talked uh, at length, obviously, about politics and such on the show, um, and and specifically uh, in regard to uh, the, the the strategy that uh, the prime minister is using in this election and how it has changed since the last election. Uh, last election, of course, when you're not the incumbent, uh, you can promise all kinds of things. You run on sunny ways, what have you. Uh, then, obviously, when you're the incumbent, it's uh, it's a totally different story. Uh, it appears, and we, we've noticed this for a while now, uh, specifically uh, uh, earlier in the week when uh, the Prime Minister was doing a, tr- a tour through southern Ontario, and instead of addressing Andrew Scheer as much, he, he brings up Doug Ford a lot because he knows Doug Ford's not polling ru- uh, very well right now in Ontario, uh, despite winning a majority here earlier on in the election, uh, and has and basically compared Doug Ford to Andrew Scheer and, and said repeatedly, if you want more of Doug Ford, then uh, vote for Andrew, or if you want more of, uh, of Doug Ford, vote for Andrew Scheer. Uh, now, uh, and, and I often wondered how, how long this, this strategy can work. Like, can you do this from now right through till October and just keep hammering away, hammering away? Um, because it appears that Ford has backed off at this point, and it seems to be pretty much a one-sided argument. He, normally, when uh, the prime minister starts slagging uh, the premier, the premier speaks up and starts slagging back. Uh, he has been noticeably silent and backed down and kind of let Justin Trudeau run a one-sided argument here and not really giving uh, much retaliation. Interesting column in the National Post today uh, from, Randall, uh, from Randall Denley. Uh, the headline, Trudeau wanted to run against Ford, but his desperate strategy is dead after damning ethics ruling. And I'll read you a portion of this. Uh, even, when the, uh, even when the country was buzzing about the damning details of his own conduct, the prime minister still thought it was a good day to talk about what he thinks is wrong with Ford. Uh, the first paragraph of uh, Randall's column, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's strategy of trying to win a federal election by running against Ontario Premier Doug Ford suddenly seems so yesterday. Attempting to focus Ontario voters' attention on Ford's failings rather than Trudeau's own was a desperate move. Thanks to the explosive new report from Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion, Trudeau's Ontario strategy is dead. Anyone still think voters care about the details of Ford's legal aid policy when they've got a prime minister who is in legal trouble? Let's bring in Randall Denley, uh, columnist with the Ottawa Citizen and National Post. He is with us now. Randall, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, Even before this ethics commissioner report was revealed, uh, it it seemed that that this is um, not necessarily a long shot. It's certainly low-hanging fruit. But in order to carry this strategy from the summer right through to October and the federal election, didn't you think sooner or later this would sort of sound like what it is, somebody constantly whining about somebody else? 
Yeah, I think it was already sounding like this. And to me, this was a strategy that had an end date of Labor Day weekend because, you know, post-Labor Day, the federal conservative campaign is going to kick into high gear. The liberals have to start talking about something other than what a bad guy Doug Ford is. They need to deliver a national message. This isn't it. So I think this would have always faded out in any case. But to me, it is finished now. It's pretty hard for Trudeau to point a finger at Doug Ford and say, isn't he a terrible leader? (laughs) Well, what about you? You It's it's not the right week right now to be pointing at some other leader and saying, oh, he's bad. You need a guy like me. There's nothing Doug Ford has done compares to what Trudeau was called to account for this week in the ethics commissioner's report. Has Doug Ford played this differently in the summer than he had previously? Is he, is he, does he have his own strategy here? Yes, he's pretty much played it smart in my opinion, which, you know, probably surprised a lot of people, including Justin Trudeau, but he, he said he would stay out of the race and he's pretty much done that. I mean, clearly that's why he's kept the legislature shut down until after the federal election to, you know, take away uh, an easy forum for goading him from the other side of the legislature. But he he really hasn't a lot to say about it. He's been talking about other things. He's made a few comments, not much. You know, he's not rising to the bait that the prime minister keeps putting out there for him. And that's the most effective strategy for him, because if it is a one-sided conversation, it's not that interesting. And I think, you know, post-Labor Day, in any case, the media attention and the public attention will go to the national campaign. If you're Justin Trudeau running around the country talking about Doug Ford, people say, well, but isn't it about you? And I think doubly so after this ethics ruling, people are going to say, but Mr. Trudeau, you're the issue in this election. Uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Could we see this strategy ramp up, him just continually talk about uh, Doug Ford and, and comparing him to Sheer as a means of distracting people away from what the ethics commissioner said? Oh, he could try, but I don't think it's very effective. You know, he tried that on Wednesday when you know everybody was gathered to hear him talk about the Ethics Commission. And, uh, the first thing he had to say was, oh, Doug Ford, you know, let me tell you some more about what a bad guy Doug Ford is. It just it just fell flat. Nobody reported that because we're already into the who cares mode. Uh, the Liberals have tried a lot of things in regard to Sheer. Well, he's like this guy. He's like that guy. It was Stephen Harper with a smile. They're always comparing him to someone else. Because I think that um, Shear himself is difficult to attack. He's a guy who doesn't have a lot of really defined policy points yet. He doesn't have a legislative track record. He seems like a pretty careful, cautious, relatively innocuous kind of person, difficult to demonize. So you have to kind of demonize him secondhand by saying, well, he, all conservatives are bad. Look at Doug Ford. Therefore... Sheer, he would also be bad. I guess somehow never thinking people say, well, well, wait, would that be true of liberals? If we didn't like Kathleen Wynne in Ontario, why would we like Justin Trudeau? Aren't, hmm. aren't they just all the same? I think it's, a, to me, a, a kind of a weak line of argument. But it's, uh, it's also something that we saw in Ontario repeatedly when Dalton McGuinty was the premier, and, and it was effective for him. On the note of Andrew Scheer, many have said that uh, the, the majority of the country still doesn't know who this guy is. He's not resonating. He doesn't have the, the charisma that, that Justin Trudeau does. Uh, as you said, Harper with a smile on his face, the howdy-doody thing, all of that. But could Scheer's personality 
work in his favor? Could those characteristics work in his favor when you have a prime minister that's the polar opposite? Oh, I think so. He's he is a hard to dislike person. Uh, in the last election, you know, you remember for a period of time, people thought, you know, Tom Mulcair, he's going to win this. He's going to be the next prime minister. Then people got to know Tom Mulcair a little bit through the debates, and uh, he doesn't even nice a guy. Harper, he's not a nice guy either. Who have we got? Hmm. Trudeau. He seems like a nice guy. I mean, it's a shallow analysis of politics. But I think a lot of people are, are often looking and saying, oh, we want to elect a leader who seems like a nice person, somebody we'd be happy to live next door to, you know, somebody mm-hmm. who's normal. Well, again, everybody talks about, uh, you know, they're going after the brand. They want somebody who can represent them. They want somebody who's charismatic, looks good, whatever. But could it get to the point where pendulum swinging back? Uh, Canadians don't need a showman anymore. They need some substance. No, and I think Charisma's stock has been declining rather sharply this week. I mean, Trudeau has Charisma, I guess, but he just doesn't have substance, and that's the problem, he doesn't have judgment either, and I think that's quite apparent to people now that he's a nice-looking guy, but he does stupid things. Uh, we all remember the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin scandal when the whole thing broke. It seemed we were talking about it daily for weeks and weeks, and, and I was even surprised it resonated with the general public the way that it did, considering how complicated and deep into the weeds it can get. But I, I guess the message was um, uh, he's not who we thought he was, so to speak. The McLean's article and, and the, the cover, you know, imposter, so to speak. It, we know how this resonated at the beginning when this story broke. Will this ethics commission report resonate as much as the first chapter did is the ending as big as the is the is the first initial you know uh, chapters and oh, I and think scandal. It will because prior to the ethics yeah, commissioner's report this week the liberals were lying was well we're we've put that past is it in the past is behind us now we're moving forward on to other things all kind of forgotten you know this brings it all back and there was chatter that, that, you know, they're ahead in the polls again, or just slightly ahead of the polls, yeah. or at a neck-and-neck neck race. Everybody's forgotten about it. But, you know, I think we can be pretty well guaranteed that the media will not let this go, so that people are going to hear a lot about it. And the Well, the whole thing seemed complicated in the first place. When you look at the report or the coverage of the report, it's a fairly simple thing. You know, big, powerful company accused of doing something fairly bad, wants a special deal. So they go to the prime minister and everyone around the prime minister, they lobby like heck. They agree to bring in legis- special legislation that would enable to get the, fe- the special deal. Well, that doesn't work out. So the prime minister and the people around him start putting real pressure on on uh, the senior, on Ray Bolden, and the senior people in her department to put the Liberal Party's interest and SNC-Lavalin's interest ahead of the interest of the legal system. So the message here is, if you're powerful and well-connected, the law doesn't really apply to you. But if you're not, well, see you in court. I think people can wrap their heads around that pretty easily. Uh, what about Jody Wilson's response to this, even Jane Philpott? Uh, the, the Prime Minister refuses to come out and apologize, basically saying, I'm not going to apologize for standing up for jobs in, uh, in Canada. Um, does that wash, considering there's charges of bribery and corruption behind all of this? Does that make it all okay? No. And I, I think the old, uh, you know, standing up for jobs, well, he said that the first time this came around. And then, of course, the company said, well, you know, it wasn't like we are going out of business over this. Yeah, We weren't shutting down in Canada. So the whole concern about jobs, I think, is 
overblown, but even if it wasn't, even 9,000 jobs are going to be lost because this company was found to be corrupt and denied federal business. If you don't act on that, what's the flip side? To say, well, if you have enough employees, you can do whatever you want. The law is, is meaningless to you. How is that acceptable? So to me, this election is a real test for voters. If you've got a guy who disregards the law, and he hasn't been honest about this throughout, is that who you want to bring back as your prime minister? You know, let's just put aside what people think of uh, Andrew Scheer or Jagmeet Singh. I, to me, the ballot question in this election now is just that. Should we bring back Justin Trudeau, given mm-hmm. all of this? What about Jody Wilson's resp- uh, Jody Wilson uh, Raybould's response and the fact that she's got a book that's going to drop in September? Uh, maybe nothing in there about all of this, but certainly as she's in front of the press, we'll be asked about it. Oh, indeed. I mean, he picked the wrong person to get uh, to anger and all this. She's very effective, and I think uh, the media and the public in general are quite sympathetic to her situation because it's pretty clear now that she was right. And she got bullied out of her job by Trudeau. So that's part of the problem for him, because he talks such a good game about Aboriginal people and such a good game about looking at everything through a gender lens. But then when it comes down to something that's difficult, all that gets thrown out. So, you know, that, that conservative attack line, not as advertised, I think that's spot on. It's going to be very effective for them, because that's what Justin Trudeau is. He told us he was a lot of things. Now, we've seen over the last four years that he isn't those things. Not really. So, why would, you know, it's, it's one thing not to apologize, Randall, but why come out and say, I'm not going to apologize? Why even go there? I mean, wouldn't it have been better for him just to say, you know what, we screwed up. I, I deeply apologize. Many have criticized uh, the prime minister as always being on the apology tour. He always yeah. looks good because he's pointed the fingers and makes us all feel like puppies who've just peed on the floor uh, yeah. and, and takes credit for, for all of this. Yet when it comes to apologizing for his own behavior, that seems impossible. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, and perhaps he honestly doesn't think that he did anything wrong. Or maybe he's just trying to brazen it out and say, nothing to see here, folks. It's, it's a little disagreement, very technical, nothing to worry about. You know, if you apologize, you are taking some kind of ownership for the fact that it was wrong. But yet he accepts full responsibility, the buck stops here, and all that other stuff. Yeah, knowing that there's no consequence in his mind. There's no there's no real responsibility to accept it. And it looks worse because of his kind of weird policy of apologizing for everything under the sun. So he's he's a professional apologizer, except when he's done something wrong. And I think pretty clearly here he has done something wrong. Even if you don't follow all the details, people get that. And they see a guy who just won't admit that he's wrong. That's not an attractive personal quality. Uh, especially when he sold it on the charisma and sunny ways uh, the first time. Do we like the negative Justin Trudeau as much as we did the positive? No, and he, he has another way of presenting that, too. You know, he'll say in one breath, you know, we're not going to get down in the gutter. We're, we're all about the politics of hope, positiveness. Unlike my slimy opponents who are terrible, you know, he just yeah. he doesn't get that as soon as he says that, he contradicts it by what? attracting his opponents. If he wanted to do that, he should have said, I'm not going to attack Andrew Scheer as a person. I'm sure he's a great guy. But I think I have better ideas. I'm going to do better things for the country, and here they are. Don't worry too much about Andrew Shear's a bad guy. Doug Ford's a bad guy. 
Uh, many... I don't think people like that negative approach either. And, and the proof of that was his election. His other two opponents were yeah. negative. He was positive. He won the election. Uh, what about Gerald Butts? Where does he fit into all of this? Because, of course, way back when, when this all broke, uh, Gerald Butts resigned along with the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, not because anything was wrong, but because of optics. It doesn't look good, don't want to be a distraction. Well, clearly the ethics com- commissioner has proven that wrong, and there, there, there was an offense here. Where does that leave him considering he's running Trudeau's campaign? He must have said, don't apologize. Yeah, well, that's all part of the Justin doesn't get it thing, I think. I don't particularly necessarily blame him or the other people who are involved in this. The one thing Trudeau said is right, buck stops here. He obviously knew what was going on. He authorized it. He asked people to do things. So obviously they're going to do the things he asks. But to me, he takes should take all the blame for this because he's the guy who was pushing for it. I mean, it would have been great if he had advisors said, well, look, boss, you, you just can't do that. Yeah. Will he change like the it? Outcome. You got to let her decide because that's how the system works. Randall, will he change his, his, his strategy between now and the election, do you think? Uh, only if polling tells him to do that. And that'll be an interesting thing to watch, I think, because if, if we see polling now on what's happened this week and, and the numbers are dipping, then they're going to have to start looking at another direction. But if you had nothing to apologize for on the day, and then say next week or the week after that. Oh, now you get it. Now you're going to apologize. Yeah, it, it won't seem remotely sincere. He had one chance this week to say, "Look, you know, I'm looking at this now through the ethics commissioner's eyes and how other people see it, and I I didn't see it. But looking at all that, okay, I I did it wrong. I pushed too hard. I was trying to accomplish something I thought was good, but I never should have gone there." We've got to place the independence of the justice system above all political considerations. Uh, getting back to Doug Ford in your initial article in the Post, Trudeau wanted to run against Ford, but his desperate strategy is dead after damning ethics ruling. Over and above the prime minister's problems, is Doug Ford still a hindrance for Andrew Scheer? Yeah, I think he is to some degree because he he's had a tough first year. I personally think he's done some good things, but... They made some mistakes, most of which they're now trying to fix. But he, he's the kind of person that some people just really don't like. And they tend to be liberal and NDP supporters. And they're riled up. They're mad. I mean, voting for Trudeau doesn't get rid of Doug Ford, but it's a, a perceived layer of protection, I guess, against Doug Ford. That Doug Ford will do something, but don't worry. Justin Trudeau will show up with a check uh, to make up the difference, as he did this week with legal aid. So, yeah, I, I think he's a problem. He's certainly not... A plus, and I, as long as he keeps a low profile, I think he'll be less of a problem. But Shear's challenge really is that he's got to make this about him, too. You know, he's mm-hmm. got to draw the media attention to him so people are talking about who he is and what he's going to do and not thinking so much about Doug Ford. And he's a much different kind of politician than Doug Ford, and I think much more um, positive and probably intellectual than Doug Ford. So I think when people get to know him better, as they will in the campaign, they're going to like him more. And I think that's going to displace the sort of, I don't like Doug Ford thing to some degree. Randall Denley has been with us, columnist for the Ottawa Citizen and National Post. Uh, The article you can see in the post right now, Trudeau wanted to run against Ford, but his desperate strategy is dead after damning ethics ruling. Uh, Randall, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated as always. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, uh, talking about the fallout with uh, SNC Lavalin, Jody Wilson Raybould scandal, and of course, then the eventual release of the report from uh, uh, Mario Dion, uh, the ethics commissioner, basically uh, vindicated Josie, uh, vindicating Jody Wilson Raybould and, and saying that there was, in fact, yes. Uh, undue pressure put on uh, the Attorney General's office by the Prime Minister's office in order to get a special deal for uh, SNC-Lavalin. However, the Prime Minister doubling down, refusing to apologize, and, you know, I, I find it fascinating. Uh, many have called it the apology tour. Uh, he, he, he goes from group to group to group apologizing, which is great. Prime Ministers do that. Leaders do that. Uh, but then not having the ability to apologize for something himself, uh, I don't know. It's it's it, for someone who 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 has spent so much time apologizing uh, for things that were done in past lives. He has no problem, or he has a big problem, trying to apologize for things that are happening in the present uh, with his own office. Uh, Jody Wilson Raybould uh, has released some comments uh, in regard to this. Uh, and and obviously the vindication that has come from the ethics commissioner. She goes on to say, I was always taught that when you do something wrong, you apologize for it. I think that would go a long way. I think it's important to ensure Canadians have the measure of trust in public officials. I think it's an opportunity to apologize to Canadians and rebuild some of that trust. She said something went seriously wrong here, and this could have been resolved. Actions could have been taken to remedy this situation and to acknowledge it wouldn't happen again and potentially seen the prime minister apologize back as early as February to me uh, she says that to me is a regret uh, which is unfortunate we need to be she goes on to say we need to be very vigilant in terms of making sure our institutions are independent and that we underscore and enforce the fundamental uh, tenets of our democracy and uphold the rule of law to talk about the fallout with all of this let's bring in Duff Conacher co-founder of Democracy Watch adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa he is with us now Duff thanks for the time much appreciated my pleasure uh, will we uh, I have so many questions here. Do you think this story will resonate? The, the ethics re- uh, commissioner's report will resonate? The final chapter of this story will resonate as much as the first few did? It seemed we talked about this every day for weeks. Is this just as damaging? Uh, I think it is because it's the actual finding of guilt. And uh, from an ethics commissioner that the Trudeau cabinet chose. And we're actually challenging that appointment because mm-hmm. we don't think that cabinet ministers should be able to cho- choose their own ethics judge, which the ethics commissioner is. Uh, but, you know, they chose him. So uh, if he was going to lean any way, uh, he was handed a seven-year, $200,000 a year job from the Trudeau cabinet. If he was going to lean any way, it would be to let Trudeau off the hook, and instead he issues a scathing report. And the thing that a lot of people don't pay attention to around election time for some reason, I've never understood it, is swing voters, uh, according to all the polls in the last 20 years, value politicians who are honest, ethical, and open. That's why they swing. That's why they switch. You know, every party has its core uh, base of supporters. Yeah, then they look for change. And they don't look for change. Those, those core base of supporters uh, vote always with the party. Swing voters look for change, and one of the top things they're concerned about is democratic good government because they know that it's very unlikely for any government to address voter concerns if they're dishonest, unethical, and secretive. So that's, it only has to affect 5% of voters who swing to have a huge effect on the Liberals' chances in the election. 
Will we see another series of ethics committee uh, hearings uh, as the opposition has suggested? No, probably not. I mean, there'll be the one hearing which they can force uh, and then put a proposal on the table. And then the Liberals will very likely shut it down again because... uh, they, they obviously don't want this dragging. I mean, this theoretically could drag out right to the next election. Uh, uh, they want to shut that down as soon as possible, I'm guessing. Very much so. I mean, there were lots of open questions before, uh, and they shut it down. Yeah. And now a lot of the questions that were there before have been answered by the Ethics Commissioner's report. There are still some questions hanging over because he was not, did not have access to all the information uh, that uh, he wanted. Um, but I just expect them to shut it down again. It's the middle of, the, of August with lots of people on taking vacations around this time leading up to Labor Day, and, and the Liberals would, would, I think, calculate, we can shut this down, and it's not going to increase the political cost of this whole thing that much. And uh, no matter if the, this is Liberal-dominated or not, obviously the opposition wants to keep this uh, ethics committee alive simply to keep the discussion alive. Yes, so they'd have to think of another proposal to bring that would be separate from the one they're bringing. Uh, they want to call the ethics commission, commissioner and others, and they can force a meeting to have that considered, and then they'd have to come up with some totally different proposal for the another committee to do or the same committee to do in order to bring it back. And that they can run that right up until the election is actually called. That's when Parliament's dissolved, and, and no committee hearings happen when Parliament's dissolved. The other big thing to watch, of course, and Democracy Watch issued its call again, as it has for the past few months, is that the RCMP has said, confirmed, that it is examining the situation. The RCMP and the prosecutors that they consult should issue a public explanation before Election Day if they decide that uh, there is not enough there to charge anyone with obstruction of justice. Obviously, if they do prosecute, then the prosecution would go ahead with a very public announcement, but if they don't, uh, often they try and just kind of let these things slide away without ever explaining their decision, and the public is owed an explanation in these kind of situations. What about the timing with something like that, Duff? Because obviously um, the RCMP kind of mum on this, although they say they are looking into it, and then will determine whether they will investigate or not. Uh, depending on when that drops, that could be beneficial or damaging. Yes, and lots of watchdogs say, um, like past ethics commissioners and others have said, well, you know, my policy is not to release reports during Election Day because that's political. But it's just as political to hide it. And voters have a right to know the full record of a government when they head into an election because they're voting as to whether to re-elect that government or elect a new government. And so they have a right to the full record. And so if they make a decision before Election Day, the RCMP and prosecutors, they should be issuing uh, that decision and the reasons for it whether they believe that the people have not crossed the line uh, and uh, prosecution is not warranted, or if they decide to prosecute, it's it, it's highly it, it's more political to hide it, I think, than to announce it. Well, many people have said way back when, and even with Jody Wilson-Raybould's statement, this could have been handled uh, way back when uh, very effectively, efficiently, but instead the solution has created more problems than the initial problem itself. Oh, sure. The, the latest spin of, of Trudeau's is the ninth spin that he's put on there. Yeah, yeah. He started out saying it was false. He actually reached the point, his eighth spin was no inappropriate pressure was put on, on the Attorney General. 
And he was admitting wrongdoing when he said that, because no pressure is allowed. In yeah. other words, there's no such thing as appropriate pressure. So right. as soon as he and Gerald Butts and the former uh, Privy Council clerk Michael Wernick all said there was no inappropriate pressure, they were admitting to wrongdoing. Mm. And then now he's saying he did nothing wrong. So, uh, But he agrees with the report entirely, takes responsibility, but he disagrees with parts of the report and did nothing wrong. I mean, he's literally speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, since we had one ethics uh, inquiry, commission inquiry on this way back when, uh, and then it sort of petered out and ran its course, what valid excuse can the prime minister give for not having another one and calling uh, Dion? Uh, no real valid excuse for that. And uh, there's another. Do we need to hear from the ethics commissioner, Duff? We do uh, on a very big issue, and, and Democracy Watch is, uh, is planning a court challenge of part of his ruling, and that is he let everyone else off the hook. He said, well, you know, they're not the prime minister, so they can't influence the attorney general because they don't have power over her. But that's not the standard in the law. The standard is, do you try to influence someone? And if you do, and it's for an improper purpose, then you are uh, violating the Conflict of Interest Act. And lots of uh, people in the Prime Minister's office and other government officials did that. They did the same thing that Trudeau did. They tried to influence the uh, Attorney General. So they should have all been found guilty, and I think it's a very dangerous ruling because it means in the future that ministers, all they have to do is just very quietly and subtly let their staff know what they want done in terms of influencing someone. The staff goes out and does it, and the staff can't be found guilty is what the, the commissioner is saying. And that's just wrong. And then also they said he, that they were just following orders from Trudeau and that they're, therefore they're off the hook. Well, no, that's the old wartime excuse of just following orders. And it shouldn't be allowed. You're, if you're a staff person and you know something's against the law, you should be saying to the prime minister, I'm not going to do that. It's against the law. And you're not allowed to do it either. Um, that's what you should do. And, and not just, and the ethics commissioner is essentially saying in the future they can just roll over and hide under the minister's authority who's ever directing them. So those two things are wrong about the ruling, and I, I'd like to see the ethics commissioner questioned about that uh, before a committee, but also we're planning to challenge those parts of the ruling in court. Where is Gerald Butts in all of this, especially, he, especially because he's back involved with the prime minister's re-election campaign? Is he the one telling him not to apologize? Uh, I'm guessing he would be one of the people that Trudeau consulted on this. And to just take the line that Canadians care more about jobs than ethics, and lots of Canadians would. That's right. So that's probably the calculation they're making. The problem that they're going to run into, I think, is that lots of swing voters care about ethics more than jobs. Mm. Because they know that the jobs are likely to go to ruling party supporters and businesses that donate to the ruling party, and high-powered lobbyists, and not to average Canadians if you have a government that is unethical, secretive, and dishonest. And that's not really going to help anyone except those friends of the ruling party and friends of the ministers. So that's why swing voters, uh, over the last 25 years, have always swung to the party that promised to clean things up the most. Hmm. Uh, across the country, not just federally, but but uh, in provincial elections as well. And that's why this this issue is so dangerous for the Liberals, as, as was shown in, in the uh, winter and early spring. It was the first issue that had caused them to drop in the polls significantly since 
2015. Um, uh, we know we remember that Gerald Butts resigned, as did the clerk of the Privy Council, uh, Michael Wernick, way back when at the beginning of this. But saying he did nothing wrong, he's just simply resigning because this has become a distraction, and he wants to remove himself from all of it. Now that the prime minister's office has been proven guilty that there was undue pressure. Uh, applied by Butts and, and the staff and the Prime Minister uh, himself. H- how does that change the discussion, the fact that Butts is back? I think it was a mistake. For Especially the, after what the Ethics Commissioner just said. Yeah, I think it was a mistake for the, the uh, for Trudeau, one, to not apologize. I, I mean, you, you do apologize when you violated one of the fundamental laws. Let's talk about that, Duff. Democracy. Why would he just not say that? I mean, many have called him, you know, this the apology tour. He apologizes to everyone who, who he can try to squeeze a vote out of, uh, often making the rest of the country feel bad while he looks good for, you know, telling us our, what, what our social woes have been. Yet he can't apologize for his own actions. I, I don't know. I, you have to ask him, and reporters have, uh, and he's just maintaining his line. Um, I was trying to protect jobs. He also says I was trying to uphold the integrity of our institutions, but there's no evidence that he was trying to do that. Um, And there's even serious questions that have been raised by lots of people who have examined it about whether the jobs claimed by SNC-Lavalin, who actually never made it themselves, it was others who were making it in the government, well, shortly after that, a, uh, a CEO or a, a high member of the a management team said, no, that's not, not the case, and then I think walked that back eventually. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, those jobs would go to another company if they, uh, if the SNC-Lavalin didn't yeah. get the contract and people would be hired at that company. So it, they're not the only company in the world that does this work, let alone the only company in Canada. And so that's one thing. Um, and that's why I think the jobs line is so weak and the failure to apologize. And, and then bringing Gerald Butts back into the fold as a senior advisor on the campaign is just essentially saying we don't care about this. All of this ethics talk that we did in 2015 election, open, honest, accountable government, nope, I'm going to be secretive, Obvious. dishonest, unethical, and, and when we're held to account, we're going to deny wrongdoing and essentially say we don't care about accountability. Uh, Obviously saying, I'm not going, and I'm paraphrasing this, not going to apologize for trying to save jobs in Canada, uh, that sounds quite noble, but to complete the sentence, it would be even if that includes uh, allegations or charges of corruption and bribery. Uh, Is the public going to see one side of this and not the other? The public generally, uh, I don't know, but the evidence is from the last 25 years that swing voters care about this. And that's who every party has to worry about, because swing voters decide elections. Your core base do not decide elections. So when you know, anyone goes on Twitter and says, oh, I'm judging, look at all these people uh, saying I stand with Trudeau, they're the core. Yeah. They're always going to vote liberal. Yeah. They, what they say any time means nothing in terms of the political fortunes of the liberal party, because they are always going to vote with them. And it's the swing voters they have to worry about. And we'll see in the next series of polls uh, whether you see a a significant shift that's greater than the margin of error. And if you do, that's the swing voters saying, this is too much. I I can't vote for liberals. Now, it's not over. Liberals could still do a mea culpa and promise 100 changes, the 100 changes that are needed. That's my next question, Duff. That's my next question, Duff. Will will we see a a strategy change here? I expect we'll see... 
what the liberals will do is release their platform quite late. And that's because they, more than any other parties, uh, have to really figure out which way are the winds blowing and how can we push some hot buttons that will get voters to return to us or stick with us. So the NDP's already released its platform, Very didn't really challenge the Liberals on ethics at all. They only have a dozen vague promises for cleaning up politics and making them more democratic. Big, big mistake, because uh, they're just denying the last 25 years of election results across the country in terms of what appeals to swing voters. And we'll see what the Conservatives do and the Greens do uh, and the Bloc does on these platforms. And then I think you'll see the Liberals watch all of them and then react with a, a platform quite late to try and counter whatever they've said and, and push hot buttons that please voters with whatever they promise. Um, that's what I think you'll see. And if it gets bad enough, maybe they'll be smart enough. Paul Martin wasn't back in 2004 and 2005. Uh, but maybe they'll be smart enough to say the only way out of this is to promise, make a titanium-clad promise, not an iron-clad promise, because we already broke a bunch of those, but a titanium-clad promise that we're going to make the 100 changes needed to actually clean up federal politics. Uh, that, along with anything else, everything else, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, pans out. Jody Wilson-Raybould, fully exonerated here? Yes, entirely. Yes. I think so. Duff Conacher has been with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch, adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa as the uh, fallout continues from the Ethics Commissioner's report on the SNC-Lavalin, Jody Wilson-Raybould controversy. Duff, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Take care. Have a great weekend. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.